Last week, we jumped into the Kingdom Gospel. And we're going to be on the Kingdom Gospel for the next few weeks because Mark's Gospel lays out something that we don't see in the other Gospels. It says Jesus proclaimed the Gospel, the Evangelion, And then it says what He said. And that's really instructive for us. For us to hear that it said Jesus proclaimed the Gospel saying means that when He proclaimed the Evangelion, that it has what He actually said here in the Gospel of Mark. And I, I've been a believer for a long time, 50 plus years. I've, I've been a teacher for a long time, almost 30 years, maybe lo- longer. And I can honestly say, until I went through the study of Mark and on the Kingdom Gospel itself, I, I, I never really noticed that one aspect. That here Jesus is saying what His Evangelion message is. And I think for us, it's very important for us to take that in so that when we give a euangelion message, a gospel message to somebody, if somebody says, what's the gospel? Then we give to them what Jesus did. We share it in a way that, that is, is accurate to the way He would have shared it. And so, remember, Mark's Gospel is widely accepted as the first written account. From Peter's perspective, obviously, Peter's eyewitness account is written to Roman Christians. He starts off with the beginning of the euangelion. The beginning, he says, of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And remember what that word euangelion meant. It was very specific. It was a secular term that could only be used to call attention to a crier or a spokesperson who was going to announce one of three things. Do you remember what they were? A new king is born, or a new emperor is born. A new king or emperor is crowned or coronated. Or the victory of a king or an emperor. A great victory. That was it. That was the three reasons they would go euangelion, euangelion, euangelion. And so, when the Gospel writers or the other writers of any New Testament letter used that word, that would have been the understanding of the people listening. When they heard it, they read it, that's what they would have thought of. That would be the message. Now, We said this last week, when you hear the word gospel, and actually a week before too, growing up, when you heard the word gospel, that is most likely not what you thought. Most likely, when you heard the word gospel, you thought of my sin or your sin. You thought of the cross. You thought of forgiveness. True? Is that true for most of us? I mean, I mean what, what did you think when you heard gospel? Well, you thought about the Bible. The Bible, but, but even the Bible, you're not necessarily thinking of being ruled and reigned by the Messiah King, which is what they would have thought. And so we have a responsibility as we know this now, when we talk to people about the Evangelion, that that's what we communicate. 
to them to be ruled and reigned by Jesus. And that ruling and reigning means He rules and reigns over our sin. He rules and reigns over our penalty of sin that we incur. And so He gives us freedom to live under His rule and reign free from the tyranny of slavery to sin. It's not free to do whatever we want. Like, it, think, of, think of the hostages in Israel who are in Gaza. They go in there and they free those hostages, right? They're free to come back to Jerusalem or to wherever they live in Israel. Are they free to do anything they want at any time in Israel? They have to live in what? Under the rule of that country. And so it's the same way with God. He doesn't free us to do anything we want to do. Paul says all things are possible, not all things are profitable. And so he redeems us not to be under slavery to sin. And so Mark shares about the baptism of Jesus where we have a king who identifies with his people. And then he shares about how the heavens opened up they were being torn open. He's a king who intervenes for his people, and that's symbolic of Jesus being that bridge between us and God. And then he showed us a king who ensures hope for his people when he shows the battle between Jesus and Satan. And we looked at those things. And then last week, we looked at this term, kingdom of God. And we talked about the kingdom gospel and the different realms. If you remember, we talked about the heavenly realm. We talked about the earthly realm. talked about the promised realm, the promised kingdom. We talked about the postponed kingdom, the spiritual kingdom, millennial kingdom, and the eternal kingdom. Well, as we were going through Mark 1, 14-20, there were some things attached to the kingdom that need to be defined for us. Remember I said last week if I wrote, uh, I gave you a card and asked you to write kingdom gospel, kingdom of God, what that meant, we'd get different responses to that. We wouldn't necessarily have thought about a king ruling and reigning, which is what they would have thought. Well, the same thing is true with repentance. If I gave you a card and asked you to write repentance and then define it biblically, I'd get a lot of different answers in this room. Because it has not been a doctrine that has been clearly taught. In fact, it's been a doctrine that's been omitted from a lot of preaching and teaching today. And so we're going to look today at this whole issue of repentance. Why? Because in Mark 1.15, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent! He says, repent and believe and then follow. And the repenting, believing, and following are responses to the imperative or what Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's His gospel message. In other words, the kings here repent and believe. So this week we're going to look at repentance. Next week we're going to look at believe. And so we're going to read Mark 1 14 through 20 again, and then we're going to read Luke 3 7 through 14 as we look at this word repent or repentance. So turn in your Bibles to Mark 1 and join with me 
in reading. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the euangelion of God. So when you hear that word, I'm using euangelion so you will remember. What he's proclaiming is either a military victory, a new king is coronated, or a new king is born. Is that word in the Bible? Word? Euangelion? Yeah, that's the Greek word for gospel. That if you get the oldest manuscript, the Bible, the New Testament was written in Greek. So that Greek word is euangelion. And so I'm using that because what I want you to picture in your mind when I say gospel is those three things that it would have been heard as. Does that make sense? So he proclaimed the euangelion of God saying and saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the euangelion. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. Now flip over to Luke 3 real quick. Luke 3, verse 7. He said, therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by Him. This is John the Baptist speaking. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. These are the very words of God. And so, over in Mark 1, you stay in Luke, but I just remind you, over in Mark 1, when Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the euangelion, it's that God forgives sinners, remember, to take them into their kingdom. The forgiveness of our sin is not an end-all, but is so that we are then able to be in the kingdom of God to then be deployed as His messengers, as His ambassadors. And over the years there's been a lot of gospel distortion. One of which is the forgiveness only gospel. In fact, repentance has been taken out. A lot of churches won't even use the word repentance. They don't like the word repentance. But this is nothing new. What is repentance? Well, 
It, it shouldn't be taken out because repentance was preached by John the Baptist. It was preached by, well, John the Baptist over in Matthew 3 and all the Gospels. Matthew 3, 2, John the Baptist preached repentance. We saw in Mark 1, 4, he preached it. Over in Luke chapter 3, he preached it. Jesus preached repentance. Over in Matthew 4.17, here in Mark 1, over in Luke, Jesus preached repentance. The apostles preached repentance. They preached it in Mark chapter 6. We haven't got there yet, but we will. But it says Jesus sent them out and they preached the gospel. They proclaimed repentance. Yeah. All the prophets preached repentance. Yes. Yeah, Old Testament, but I'm, I'm focusing right now on the New Testament because people say, well, that was the Old Testament, this is the New. All these people, uh, John the Baptist, Jesus, the Apostles, Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he's in Athens, he says the Lord has fixed a day. And it's going to be a day of judgment. Repent. He's overlooked these times of ignorance. Repent. And he says that in Acts 20.20. 20. So they all preach it. What is Repentance. Well, going back to Isaiah, Isaiah 55, because remember, those passages in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, really is all about Messiah. And so if you go back to Isaiah 55, I want to read Isaiah 55, 5-7 for you. This is, this is hundreds of years before Jesus is on the scene, but these are things said about the coming of Messiah. And listen, to it doesn't use the word repentance, but it tells you what repentance is. Starting in verse 5. Isaiah 55, verse 5. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. A nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord, that's Yahweh, your God, and of the Holy One of Israel. For He has glorified you. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man His thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon what precedes the pardoning returning forsaking wicked ways forsaking wicked thoughts now if you say that in some circles today people will accuse you of adding works to salvation in fact, there's whole movements, ministries. I've sat there and listened to them teach people. I had to get up and walk out because they left out repentance and didn't say anything about it. All they focused on was forgiveness. And remember, the gospel you preach determines the disciples you make. And so, John the Baptist, what does he do in Luke 3, 7? He says, to the crowd. This is the crowd coming. There were thousands, hundreds of thousands of people coming to be baptized to John the Baptist. And, and cr huge crowds. And you know what he says? You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee the wrath to come? 
that brood of vipers, you know what he's saying? You are children of poisonous snakes. And he was alluding to the most poisonous snake. Who is who? Yes. He tells them, do not lean on your heritage, Abraham. He was not appealing to their felt needs in any way. John wasn't addressing their superficial felt needs. He was addressing their creational need. And their creational need is they need forgiveness. Right? John wasn't pragmatic at all. He had a message from God the Father, it says in verse 2 of Luke 3, that it was the Word of God that was given to him to proclaim, and he did. And it was very pointed, it was very direct, and you know why? Because the people he was talking to were in a really, really bad way. They needed forgiveness. And it was a terminal spiritual illness. Guys, if a doctor's going to give you a very, very, very bad prognosis, do you think he's going to be joking around with you? You listen to some of the preachers around? They sound like comedians. They don't sound like preachers. We've lost decorum as people are trying to give this message. John wasn't joking around. He was telling people, listen, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee? That's not how you win friends and influence people. Calling them snakes right at the beginning? Really, John? And you know what? I've actually had people say to me before, and this was 30 years ago, but I've never forgotten it. I don't give a blankety-blank what John the Baptist says. He was a crazy man. I, he had a terrible approach. People said this. They, I, I like Jesus' approach. Jesus was a lot more loving. Really? Let me get you to flip over to John chapter 8 real quick. John chapter 8. And let's see. Let's contrast John and Jesus' approach. Because many people say they prefer Jesus' approach. Well, let's look at John 8. Okay? I'm going to start. Yeah, John 8, verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. That's exactly what John did. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said, if God were your father, you'd love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. And Jesus just said, you are his children. So I ask you, is there a difference between the way he ministered and the way John did? No. It's the same thing. 
They had the same approach. You know why? Because it was God's approach. It was God's Word. You see, we all have a poisonous and destructive heritage, guys. Each one of us. Just like the people John addressed. The message of repentance in the Gospel will make no sense if we do not feel that. If we don't understand that we are children of the devil until we come in and have what? A new birth. Nobody wants to talk that way. That's not popular among people. That's not a a fun message to share. And our issue is we don't like the truth. We don't like the truth about our sin. Our sin nature? Oh, we're pretty good, you know. You know, um, Jeff, he's a pretty good guy. I mean, he's really not... I I wouldn't call him a son of a serpent to his face. (laughs) But the truth is, we all are. How many messages today, guys, do we hear about repenting? About God's judgment? About fleeing the wrath to come? How many messages have you heard that really address the issue of repentance? It's You know what we hear instead? We see commercials that say, God gets us. He gets you, Al. You know, He gets you. Or billboards on the road, God is not angry at you. Really? Paul said we're at enmity with God, at war with God when we're not in Christ. But see, we, we so want to be pragmatic to make people feel good that we, we don't want to do it. And, and we tell people, God isn't angry with you. Just come to Him. Profess a belief in Him. Just believe Jesus died on the cross. Pray this prayer with me. And you're free to do whatever you want because you live under grace after that. All your sins are covered. And you don't have to be holy. You don't have to... I mean, you're free. And there's people that promulgate that all throughout our country. Our message is most of them don't start off with a warning about God's wrath. They're calling us to repent. You know why? Because they're considered fundamentalists, extremists, and legalistic. And that doesn't go over well in our consumer culture. Not at all. We would much rather go somewhere else and listen. Listen listen to what J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle was a bishop over in England back in the 1800s, okay? This is in the 1800s. Listen to what he said, the mid-1800s. There is a morbid dislike of strong language today. This is back in the 1800s. An excessive fear of giving any offense. A constant flinching from being direct and plain speaking. Harry Ironside was back in the 1930s. He was the pastor of Moody Bible Church up in uh, Chicago. He was talking about repentance and this idea of preaching repentance. And he said, biblical repentance is being diluted by those who felt it was too demanding for gospel proclamations. He wrote a book called Accept You Repent. And in his book, he says, the doctrine of repentance is the missing note in many orthodox and otherwise sound theological circles today. He also wrote about preachers of grace who like the antinomian, and antinomian means anti-law. 
And, and so when he says antinomian, he's people, we don't live under law anymore. So the, the people of old who decried the necessity of repentance because they said it invalidates God's grace. It is a work. People would say if you called them to repent, you're adding works to salvation. It is not a work. It is a gracious act by God to grant repentance to you, but you have to respond to it. It's some kind of mystery where God grants it, but He expects us to respond. That's the human responsibility, God's sovereignty, we cannot grasp. But He calls us to repent. But people trying to be pragmatic have removed it from their messages when they share the Gospel. Ironside called this omission of repentance, easy believism. You might have heard that term. It's nothing new. It's been going on since 19, the 1800s. Yeah. And there was a Puritan preacher who wrote this. He said, God will not pardon until He sees the sinner longing to change. Notice he didn't say until He sees the sinner change. He says until He sees the sinner longing to change. Until a man confesses sin with bitterness, it is a sign he still loves it. A man will never leave sin until he finds bitterness in it, is what that Puritan preacher said. And it's true. It's true. Most people, guys, in our culture are content to work on the exterior. They work on the exterior of their lives. They pray a prayer acknowledging Jesus. I mean, we've seen people, we know people that have done this, but there's no repentance, no true belief in their life. It, they, they pray a prayer, they walk down and, and give their life, they get baptized. But at some point, the desire for things of the world overpower their love for God. 1 John 2 warns against that. Don't love the things of the world. This is the world. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. John warns us. And these people, guys, had an experience. They had something. Like, they had an experience with God's Word. They heard it, and they, there was a response, but it was all surface and temporal. They felt temporary regret. They really did. They, they understood that, that they needed a change. But instead of allowing God to come in and having that same attitude of sin that God has about it, they were sorry, but it was a worldly kind of sorrow, not a godly like Paul talks about. And, and so what happens is they begin to be compared to true children of God. They, they see, wow, our lives are different. And what are those standards? Well, a love for God's Word. A love for God's Word is a love for food. This is our food. We feed on this. And so, when a guy tells me, you know what, I don't read the Bible. Why? No. I, don't, I don't understand it. Why? I, that's a problem. That's a huge problem. If, if you're not reading God's Word, you don't have a desire to read His Word, at best, you are really spiritually sick. You're a sick infant, at best. So a love for His Word is a standard of God's people that, that, that it should be there. And so when people who have a surface exterior kind of reaction are next to people with a love for God's Word, guess what? They don't like it. Because they start to realize, I'm not like them. Well, what's the other thing? Love of God's people. 
I don't have to go to church. I don't have to be in any church. I don't have to be around believers. You know, I, me and God, we have our own thing going on. That's not biblical. That's not any historical Christian group ever. So love for God's people. Love for worshiping Him. You know, I just can't really get into worship. That's because you're too focused on the music or you're too focused on the person and you're not focused on who you need to be focused on. Because worship ain't about the music. It ain't about the people or the Word being read. It's about you and God communing and you thanking Him every time you get together with His people to say, God, thank You for saving me. Please, I need to repent. Man, this week I did not get in the Word like I should. I did not pray like I should. I didn't share the Gospel like I should. Help me to be better at this, Lord. I want to keep growing. That never stops. And so, as these people who are surfacy or next to these, they see that. A desire to witness. When 95% of people in churches in America don't tell anyone about Jesus, that's a problem. A desire to make disciples. And here's the biggest one. An ultimate loyalty to God. Nobody's saying you need to be perfect. God understands that. But what happens is, when you fall, you, you make a mistake. You go back and that old, that old self wants to take you someplace. You go, whoa, I don't like this at all. I don't want to be here. I want to be over here. And that does not become a pattern of unbroken, unrepentant sin. It doesn't if you're His. The Spirit won't allow it. It won't allow it. You can do some pretty bad things. They just don't become unrepentant patterns. And I talk to people all the time. Well, you know, I trusted Christ when I was five, but I didn't make Him my Lord till I was 45. So what does that mean? So for 40 years, you were His, but you were disobedient without any consequence? What kind of witness were you? You see, you're not brought in just to have your sins forgiven to go to heaven. You're brought in to have your sins forgiven so you could be under the rule and reign of Messiah King as His ambassador out in the world. And that is a very different understanding than what I grew up with. It's a very different understanding than I had even the first 10 or 15 years of ministry. And, and so, But the more I get into His Word, the more I see... That is His rule and reign is what the Gospel is. Delivering us from sin so we can be ruled and reigned over in a good way, not in a tyrannical way. And so, <laughs> the problem is with these people who have this sur surfacy thing is they look for shepherds and pastors that will tickle their ears and tell them, you know what, it's okay. None of us are perfect. If you haven't changed... Don't worry about it. Didn't you pray that prayer, Bob? You prayed that prayer. I remember you praying that prayer. So you're a believer. That's a lie. What does Matthew 7 say? Jesus says, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Not only did they pray a prayer, they went on mission trips. They did this. They did that. He's going to say, I never knew you. I never knew you. John MacArthur says, based upon doing a lot of study of early church fathers, 
that repentance, they all would have had this view. Repentance is a radical turning away from evil towards God. It's a radical turning away from God. From rebellion against God to loyalty to God. A transformational turning of one's life from self-rule to Jesus' rule. From self-righteousness to Jesus' righteousness. And so, as you think about that, it's a whole new life. It's a whole transformed life bent towards honoring God. Obeying Him. It's not a refurb project. It's a complete tear down and rebuild. He, he covers that in John 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a leader among the Jewish people. He knew the text of the Old Testament. And Jesus says, you got to be born again. He goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. You tell me I got to go back in my mother's womb? How, how does a man do that? He said, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand this. It's not just a change of mind about who Jesus is. That's what a lot of people put out. I, you know, I didn't really believe that Jesus died on the cross and it was important, but now it is. That's great. It's not just a desire for new circumstances in your life. You know, a lot of people, I've tried drugs, I've tried alcohol, now I'm going to try Jesus. Like a, almost like a good luck charm. They just, they're, they're not understanding. Now, can God use those things? Absolutely. He's used some of the worst gospel presentations I've ever done to lead people to Christ. So, He can use anything, but we have a responsibility to be faithful to what He proclaimed and what He calls us to proclaim. And so what it is, it's a new life embracing the rule and reign of Jesus over your sin and over your sins. Over your sin nature and over your sin penalty. You trust Him. You believe, and we're going to talk about what we believe in next week because repentance is different than belief, but it's tied in. It's, it's part of the same coin. You can't divorce it from belief as it relates to salvation. Yeah. yeah. I, I have a lot of people tell me, oh, I believe, I believe. Well, you can't believe it and in, in your heart believe it and think that, well, it's still okay for me to live the life I want to live. I just that, I don't understand how that it would, anybody could be Well, it's just because you could, listen, that guy yesterday that was drunk that hit my truck, that wasn't on there. I didn't do that. I only did that little piece right there. His truth that he was trying to convey was he only did this when in reality the truth was they had a camera. They saw what he did. He hit the whole thing. His truth was not the real truth. All these people that have, have bought into this forgiveness only gospel, a lot of them, that's their truth. Alistair Begg describes it this way. He says it's a complete 180 in your life spiritually. He says there's before Christ where you're self-led. All right, You are self-led and you're self-ruled. That's volume one, he calls it. Volume one, we live for ourselves and we serve ourselves. Volume two, after Christ, is where Jesus led and Jesus ruled. We serve Him. We live for Him and we serve Him. So it's not just turning from wicked ways. 
to some trying to do some external thing is turning from wicked ways to the living God and His Messiah King. It, and, and it includes these three things, guys. First of all, a change of mind. This is recognizing our sin nature, our sins, our self-rule. We, we have to own that as part of the repenting process. It's, it's owning that we are sinful people. We are sons of Satan. We're poisonous. And any one of us, I mean, it's easy for us to look at Hamas and what they did over there and go, that's awful. We would never do that. Can I tell you something? Everybody in this room is guilty for the death of Christ. Had there been one person that would not have had a sin nature, he wouldn't have had to die. And so we are all complicit in the death of Jesus. Unless we think we would be different, if we were there, we would have been the ones, His blood be on us and our children. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe the Holy Spirit would have got us. Obviously, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life if we're His. But there were people that were there that ended up coming to Christ later. Paul killed Christians, came to Christ later. He had to come to the point of realizing in his old life, he was a son of Satan. He was a poisonous viper. Okay? So that change of mind about who we are. Second, there's a change of heart. Agreeing with God about how evil our self-led rule is and our sins are. And having an overwhelming sense of sorrow for both. I remember uh, I, I would go to some of these evangelistic outreaches and I would see people going forward to trust Christ. And they're just coming down with their friend. Their friend's crying, but they're, they're going down there. And then when after meeting, they're sitting there, yeah, I prayed to receive Christ. No contrition, no sorrow. And I remember talking to one of the guys on the trip. We actually got into a little debate about it. And he said, well, not everybody feels emotion. you know." And I've shared this with you guys before. And, I, I, and, and it's, it's the kind of the way I, I illustrate this is anybody in this room, I don't care how stoic you are, if you're backing out of your driveway and you run over your next door neighbor's three-year-old grandchild, are you going to feel emotion? You absolutely would. You would be horrified. To do to Jesus what we did, the torture He went through, the worst way in the world you could die, to be spit upon as the God of all creation, to be rejected and to realize that your sin and sin nature put him there and not feel anything doesn't it means you don't really know you don't really get it you don't believe it you don't believe it and so there's a change of heart where you go oh now oh my gosh i'm so sorry i'm so sorry god i realize that so there's a change of mind and change of heart. And then there's a change of direction of your life. It's a surrendering of our self-rule to Jesus' rule. We're now saying, hey, we're trusting Him for forgiveness, but we're also trusting Him to lead us in life, in a changed life, guys. There is no Christian life apart from repentance. It's impossible. 
It's not there. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, which I didn't, I didn't get exposed to growing up. I grew up Baptist, so I didn't, I didn't understand that. I didn't have that. But later in life, I got exposed to that, and it was really good. It, what it was, it was a bunch of godly men who sat around and and asked questions about the the doctrines of the the Christian life. And one of them was, "What is repentance unto life?" And this is what they said in the Shorter Catechism. Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it to God with the full purpose of a new obedience. What do you say that was it? That's the shorter catechism. Question number, I think it's 87. The shorter catechism. The Westminster shorter catechism. Okay? Think about David, Psalm 51. And I I don't have time to go there and read it, but remember what David said? Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And then at the end it says, what is the Lord's desire? Not sacrifices, but what? A humble and a contrite heart. A humble and a contrite heart. There's two illustrations I want you to think about as we close. One of them is Luke 19. Luke 19, 1-10. Most of you probably sang songs. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree. The Lord he wanted to see. The Lord said, Zacchaeus, you come down. That's what Luke 19 is. It's a story of Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. Okay? And he extorted money from people. Nobody liked him. He was hated by the Jewish leaders and people. And he heard Jesus is coming, the Messiah King, the guy who'd been healing people. And he wanted to see him. So he gets up in the tree just for a glimpse of Messiah. And he gets up in that tree and he sees him. And Jesus looks up and their eyes meet. And he goes, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I'm going to your house today. Me? You're coming to my house? Me, Lord, I'm a tax collector. I don't care. I'm coming to your house today, Zacchaeus. Come on, let's go. Lord, I'm going to give everybody four times what I took from them. That's a changed life. He didn't pray a prayer. He met Jesus, realized He was Messiah King, and realized in Jesus' invitation that it was an invitation for forgiveness. And Jesus said, He's a son of Abraham. He's a child of faith. He'd just been trapped in that wicked body. And Jesus released him that day. Isn't that cool? That's a great story of a transformed life. And then the other passage, by the way, Romans 2.4 says it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Matthew 28 or 21, 
Matthew 21, 28 through 32. Jesus is, uh, the, the, the leaders are trying to trip him up and they said, hey, uh, who gives you the authority to come in here and do all this stuff? He said, let me ask you a question. So he asked him about John the Baptist, who gave him his authority. And, and, and so they couldn't answer. And Jesus said, well, I'm not going to tell you. But then he tells them this. Let me tell you a story. The guy had two sons. One son said, I'll do what you told me to do. And he didn't. One said, I don't want to do it, but then went and did it. Which one of those two sons is justified? And they said, the one who did it. And you know what he said? He said, these tax collectors and prostitutes, they repented at the preaching of John. You didn't. You still haven't repented. You haven't, you haven't turned. And he made a point with them he, he went back to John because the preaching of repentance was to prepare to be in the kingdom. 1 Thessalonians 1.9, Paul says, the Thessalonians turned from idols to the living God. Guys, we can't do anything, but God can do anything. So, as we close today, ask yourself these questions. One, do I have a love for God's Word? Do I have a love for God's Word? Do I have a love for God's people? Do I have a love for worshiping Him? Do I have a desire to witness and make disciples? As I look in the mirror, am I really ultimately loyal to God above everything else? Is that my ultimate loyalty? If not, do I need to repent of anything? He says in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, He will be faithful to forgive. I don't know what God's put on your heart as you work through these things, but let me encourage you. If he's put something on there, you need to repent. That means you need to say, God, I don't want to be like this anymore. Help me to go in this direction. And it's a lifetime of repenting. I repent every day because I need Jesus. So I hope this has been helpful in understanding repentance. It, it was for me just to work through it. So, uh, Danny, will you close our time in prayer today? Yes.